everyone, it is a special edition of the podcast, This is Whole Life, from Whole Life Church Retreat 2023. And this year, we have a special guest, and I heard it on good authority that um, it's a little bit of Whole Life royalty. And, uh, and Jeff, would you care to uh, would you care to expand well, on that a little bit? If there's any royalty going on here, it's it's literally the fact that this guy has a pretty decent reputation, not just here in Florida, because he's my son-in-law, but also because he uh, he does a really good job up in Georgia Cumberland. He's at George, he's at Georgia Cumberland Academy, so um, we're really really. Actually, I told him today. I said, you know, put my my son-in-law piece aside you are you are really really doing well up here we're so grateful glad that you are a part of our camp and retreat this this last year absolutely i enjoyed last night um i thoroughly enjoyed this morning but and we'll get into questions soon enough but i wanted to find out a little bit more because it's always nice to get a little background and even though we know that you have the connection to to the church and through family um but tell us a little bit about about who Josh is and maybe a little bit of what makes you say yes to an opportunity where it's like, I'm going to go and I, you know, you, you, you kind of know some of the, the things that you're going to get when you say yes to something like this, what goes through your mind and you go, yeah, I think this is a good idea. Uh, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, just to introduce myself, I'm a Georgia boy. I grew up in just West of Atlanta and I'm a Falcons fan. So you guys can, not turn your nose up at me like Pastor Ken is doing right now, Ooh. or maybe that's uh, maybe that's he's just feeling bad for me right now. So, um, and and I would understand that, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So, um, you know, what makes me say yes to these types of things? I mean, I you know, I would be tell I would not be telling the truth um, if it weren't partly to do with my family being here. Obviously, <laughs> I love I love my family. Yeah, we actually, okay. family. we actually heard that he got a call to do a church oh. retreat the same year, uh, and he chose this one. So uh-huh. I, I'm, we're grateful. I think we had a little bit of pull. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> smart man. <laughs> you did, but you know, um, I have I've been to church retreat here two or three times before this, and I've always loved it. Um, it's always it, this retreat is so much fun. Um, back in in college, Brittany and I came down, and uh, you know I stayed with Jeff and Tammy and the family in one of the trailers over here, and it was really awkward because we were just dating at the time, and <laughs> we're staying in these tight quarters together, and. And Brittany and I actually played um, played a song for Saturday night, yeah. which was really really kind of right. fun. Um, and this is before so, my time. I, I didn't even get I didn't yeah. get into this. Yeah, this is like I don't know, two thousand eight or not. I don't. It was a while yeah. ago. It was a That's while awesome. ago. So a little history. So um, expectations coming in. Um, have we exceeded? Are we? What are you, oh, you how guys. You, how you feeling? You guys are amazing. Okay. And. I mean, like I said this morning. Keep going. This, Keep going. Yeah, this church. I feel like Randy just needed to hear that. Well, you know, I mean, I'm just here to make sure things are going and, well. And when I say you guys, I mean my mother-in-law is amazing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely the correct answer. Yes. Um, and for those of you at home who are not here, Tammy's in the back row. So it duly yeah. noted the brown. She had a crutch that she was waving in his direction. Yeah. Too, so. Just in case. Hey, and by the way, to your... Uh, this is the rec. This is the most we've ever had a church retreat. 
record yeah. attendance. Wow. How, what, how is it, what is it, Tammy? Uh, fully registered, I think it was uh, 527. 527. And what was the old record? 470. 474. Yeah. Good job, guys. Nice. It is packed. What's that? I'll tell you what, you bring in Josh Woods and... There you That's go. Yeah. People sign up. No, it's just the it's a snowball that you know church retreat is growing and growing. It's getting better every year. So, how modest. <laughs> That's the man. This I have a feeling that today's show is going to go really smoothly. We've got good answers. They're just flowing naturally <laughs> off the cuff. This Until we get to the part where we drop a. Oh. My grandchild on the on the pavement. Yeah. Oh, oh, no. man. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I was waiting for to see how long who was who was gonna bring it up first, but I you know, didn't I, I didn't want to, so thank you, Jeff, for taking that one off of our plate. I had several people come up and do a time of confession <laughs> after the church service. So it turns out you weren't the only person. I was not the so only one. even though nobody was willing to own it in yeah. the uh, in the actual service, huh? Exactly. You know I, I won't tell I won't tell the story that happened to us. I just won't do it. So, but you're not. You're in good company. You're in. You're in really, I feel really like there's company. no way that Jeff didn't drop somebody on their head at some point. And <laughs> wow. I just. I'm not sure how to answer that question, just because you know my both my children. Actually. There really wasn't a question. It was more of a statement, Jeff. But if you'd like to answer the statement, I'm. <laughs> well, if you are a even moderate part-time listener. Um, you know, this is usually how the podcast starts. Uh, we haven't mentioned food at all, so let's go there really quickly because I feel like every good episode needs a little bit of food. How are we doing? How's the Kalakwa doing? You know, cafeteria wise, are you, are you feeling good? You're feeling refreshed? You're strong? Food? I love Kalakwa's food. I uh, I was go. here just a few mo- a few months ago for our our uh, Southern Union prayer conference, and so this is the second time this year that I've eaten a scallops. Of food, and oh, I'm, I, f- I feel like maybe I'm we good. should have brought a lie detector test also and just hooked him up. Yeah, hooked him up. Ooh, <laughs> you know detector. what, though? I'm from the South, and we had biscuits and gravy this morning. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And just for, and last year, uh, Peter Enns uh, made one of the funniest comments ever. He said um, it was something about telling the truth, and that just what Melanie just said reminded me of that. He said it's hard to lie when you're sitting on a stage with Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood Jesus, Jesus behind you. Down on yeah. you. <laughs> and yeah. I had never ever looked at that picture, and then, but now if you look, it's totally Clint Eastwood Jesus. That's the only way you can see it. Okay, so let's get started. And the first thing we that, haven't started yet. I thought we had started. <laughs> well, no, we, got, we always like to get the you know the little bit out, a little bit of those pleasantries out of the way before we get started. But what do you do uh, going to your message this morning? Which last night was great too. I, I felt like um, it, we've already put it out as a bonus episode because um, I think people hearing the simplest words of good people don't go to heaven <laughs> is something that it immediately catches your mind no matter how you were raised, if you were raised Christian or even not, and you've heard it from Christians, which I think was a really important piece for people to hear. But what do you do with, an, with, with easy from a God, a creator, who is shrouded in so much mystery, so much unknown, which just naturally builds so many questions, and it breeds so much doubt in us about us being good enough, and that the plan that he could possibly have for me could be simple enough that my imperfect self might be able to achieve what you were talking about, it can't be that easy, can it? I mean, how can it be that easy when we know so little 
And it seems like so much is expected, even though so much of it is put on ourselves. What do you do? How do you explain a God to some that God to someone who only sees or has only heard or has only been on the maybe the the hurtful side of things? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think growing up for me personally, you know, oftentimes it was more. Um, it seemed more convoluted and and Good difficult to understand. And I think just understanding Jesus and seeing how he interacted with people and hearing the messages that he, you know, spoke to people, um, it just kind of helped simplify it. I mean, uh, you know, I, I was just talking to some of my students about the Sermon on the Mount and how he, he says things, you know, that that are, are so good in there. And then the very first interaction he has after the Sermon on the Mount is with a leper who was supposed to be shunned, um, cast away. Uh, you know, they were supposed to be yelling unclean everywhere they went and Jesus accepted him and he says, yes, of course, I'm willing. Yeah. You know, and this is someone who had been told maybe that he wasn't able to be in, in, the, in, the, you know, in the fold or whatever and Jesus just accepted him in. And so I think... I think sometimes we, we make it more difficult than it needs to be with our theology, but in reality, um, Jesus makes it pretty simple. Hmm. I, I found it interesting that you listed off, you know, the Jebusites and the Amalekites and the sites. And By the <laughs> way, I, I almost went to a dad joke there. Oh, you know, can you do it now? You know, the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Parasites and the websites <laughs> and the Gigabytes. Yes. Like, I almost went that, there. That, that, was, that, that was pretty good. That was, that was pretty, pretty dad, and I'm the dad. <laughs> yeah. <That's... laughs> well, I just found it, I find it, it the, interesting, the parallel, because when we think about what, you know, the, we talk about the truth and what we're confident in, and I, we talked about this last week on the podcast, like what is, it's okay to doubt, it's okay to have questions, and it's a, we need to be a safe place to do those things. But why is it sometimes that you look at a story like this and even the sites looked at the Israelites and were like, whoa, let's plan for doom because their God is able to just like wipe us out in the, the power of they realized the power of God. Maybe and maybe it was for them more for destruction. And maybe we're looking at it a little bit different. We're looking for the salvation or the other part of it. But it just seems like sometimes, is it just because we've been doing this a long time and you kind of lose your sense of wonderment or that someone else who doesn't maybe know what you know looks at it and goes, yeah, it's pretty clean, pretty clear that your God is pretty powerful. And, you know, we and, and yet we're on the other side going, well, I don't know. Can, can he save me? Am I am I good enough? Is this going to work? I, I don't see how this I don't see how we get to a resolution here. What is it about us that makes us not see what they see? Well, Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because Rahab did see that from right, the standpoint yeah. of, uh, I, I mean, it was a smart thing to do. You know, she's she kind of hedging her bet in a way. Hey, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be okay either way. I'm just gonna make sure I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm taking care of my me and my my family and I and and so I think as she's talking with these these spies, she's thinking, hey, if I can if I can get away with playing both sides, and she actually, you know, did the right thing. But uh, you know, to your credit though, Josh, I think she started to see things. 
and who knows how God, you know, is going to work on on anybody. He can work. He can influence. I always, you know, when you said you brought in this at the very end, and I, I may be getting ahead of us on the podcast, but no, that's you, okay. You brought in, did she change? Uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. God went into it thinking, oh, she'll change. Oh, was that the point? Was that even no, a thought? No, that's the point. That's yeah. what I'm saying okay. is that I think God went into this knowing that she had a believe, believing heart and a, and a believing spirit and a, and a sense of she, she wanted to have faith in somebody, and she decided to put her faith in this God that she's only heard a little bit about from stories around. So my guess is at this point, you know, as we see how change takes place, I think God works out change in the way he sees the changes that are needed. I I don't know. I don't know what happened to her, but I do know that she had children. <laughs> yeah. And uh and she was a mother and she was a mother like you said of a of a dynasty basically. Hmm. And if it, if that doesn't give you a little bit of hope that, you know, someone, you know, the party planner in Rahab that gets to it's the podcast we can go that really <laughs> we can go full r-rated right <laughs> well, i guess we could but it's it's more fun to say party planner is it yeah i, I think so um, you have to think can we just can we just say the obvious though how how uh, how amazing would it be to, to every time you're mentioned in history to be, that you are ken the male prostitute i mean that's i mean it's oh, tough seriously that's that's what that's what rahab is like everywhere in the bible where she's mentioned it's rahab the prostitute yeah that, and there's no mention of two spies who immediately go and stay with the prostitute like what what, what about those guys they were in the witness why protection they, plan they're they like they're, the spies that went to see thank the you thank <laughs> you melanie yeah well it's seriously it, okay so but can we also wonder i've always wondered if the guy she married one of the was one of those spies Oh, Salmon. I, I, well, I wonder that. Would redeem the whole thing. <laughs> would it? I don't know if it would or not. I'm Does just saying. I, always, yeah. I, I wondered, but but it, but but also, can we also talk about the awkward part where God's chosen people's their spies <laughs> going to the go to though. the prostitute's house? I mean, that's that's another little fun part that we don't spend a whole lot of time on in our children's stories. <laughs> like, but they so a- when you're spying out the land. <laughs> Go find a prostitute. Yeah. I'm um, sure they weren't given there. those instructions. I, I'm sure you, you do. You teach that in your in your Bible classes at God's Chosen Academy. You know, we just gloss over it, right? Yeah, <laughs> I know I did. When I was like, but it's like there's these little. You know, you start thinking about the stories of the Bible, and um, when you start, we we often really keep our Bible stories on the children's level um, and, instead of the level that it was actually written at. Um, we, we like to go back to, for some of us, what we would call the Uncle Arthur's bedtime stories. stories that have been neatly sanitized, and we take out a lot of the parts that are not, not um, you know, not PG, and, and we, we keep the story PG. And in doing so, at times, I feel like we miss some of the, some of the major themes that are in those stories that by... Um, sanitizing something that apparently God didn't think he needed to sanitize when he allowed that to show up in the Holy Scriptures. So I don't know. It's um, 
and I think, you know, I think there are appropriate stories for kids and we have to think about those sort of things. But I think that maybe we also ought to think about that what Paul says, and I think it was Paul that, you know, when I grew up, I matured and I was able to talk about adult topics and, and think things through a little bit more deeply. Yeah. And you know, one thing that I, I mean, we do, um, with our kids is, you know, all of the, all of the, the Bible characters, you know, we make them out to be heroes mm-hmm. and, and to some extent, I think that's cool. We want them to respect the characters in the Bible and appreciate them. But, but when you really start to look at their lives, it's like, oh, these people were messed up and they yeah. were, they were broken human beings. And yet God still uses them and calls them and, and, you know, <laughs> like takes broken humanity and uses them to bring about you know, the savior of the world and, you know, the redemption for humanity. And I think that is kind of what makes it beautiful that this scandalous story here and not just here, but, you know, when you look at all of the genealogies, like all of the stories include scandal and yet that's what birthed Jesus. And I think that's, I think that's what makes this story and all, you know, all the other stories in Matthew one, just so special. I also think that we need to come at the stories, especially for maybe not the younger kids, but I mean, teenagers, we like to think that they don't talk about the same, all, all these things, but in fact, we know that they do. And I just thought uh, this morning as you were describing Rahab and it's like, you know, all the labels and the baggage that we put on someone in, in her position. And then of course, any other position that we might look down on personally, it might be a sin that we don't struggle with. It might be life choices we don't. Um, we're not at risk of making or we don't make. And we we put those prejudices on people. And I think our value system r- really stinks because our, our teenagers and, you know, our young adults should be looking at the story of Rahab and going, God used, like you said, this really imperfect person. And um, Normally, that's just a write-off. Well, that's this person. I mean, why would I even approach them about Jesus when you're, I'm, you know, you're putting on everything you think and everything you judge about uh, about a person in her position, and yet at the same time, we're really robbing the Holy Spirit of of its chance to come in and just say, you know, like when we did the T-shirt challenge and just like, hey, just bring, you know, follow me and 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 allow that peace to just settle and, and do that. And I just thought, you know, if those aren't the conversations that we're having as a church family, then we're really missing out on that opportunity to, to um, help us to have those conversations, which I think we, we try to do a pretty good job of, but it, but it's difficult and it can be, it can be super uneasy, but it just, I, it makes me, it, it just makes me feel bad when you see the, and you can see it happening sometimes in, in groups that we have, of you know your friends your kids friends and well i didn't want to i didn't want to say i don't want to say this i didn't want to offend somebody or i didn't want to say that because it could have been the wrong thing instead of being more open and comfortable with hey you know everyone needs everyone needs jesus so i really appreciated the way you brought that and then the lineage of just you know like we've already talked about her being the great 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 whatever grandmother of jesus and that he would pick somebody so imperfect and then like oh yeah he picked me too. Cool. I'm probably just as uh, I have as many uh, as many other things wrong with me probably as as she did. So, what was what's the one thing that when you think about this story that you just like you hope someone takes away and has a 
just an easy bite-sized something that they can give away to someone else in one of those conversations from the story and from, you know, it's okay to just be who you are and let God's grace take the rest of the rest of the trouble. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think uh, I think what comes to mind oftentimes for me is I I put myself in the brains of teenagers, and I think so often. That's scary. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, like I I think that's when they're young and they're making formative decisions in their lives, and oftentimes the things they struggle with. Uh, that that's a barrier for them. They think, you know, like this is something that I can't go to God with this. And, you know, I, I think that this story illustrates that, you know, God wants you to come with everything, not just, you know, like I said, I think I made a, a comment, you know, you don't clean the house before the house cleaner comes. Like, just come just as you are. And I know that we hear that oftentimes in the, you know, in the church world. Um, but that's, that's, that's true. That's real, and that's what God wants of us. He wants us to just come and and allow that grace to to soak into our our hearts and our souls, and allow that to to cleanse us. And so, I mean, I guess if I could say one takeaway, it would be that that um, don't let that barrier, don't let that label separate you from a relationship a relationship with God. Hmm. The one thing I, I forgot I was gonna I was gonna mention was I really liked. And maybe um, you said God would have honored 10,000 red cords. And I thought, man, if that's, if that's not a picture to think about when you think about this story and, you know, everybody in panic and in fear in this city, and then to think about the grace that we're talking about that we are trying to describe in a way that makes it inviting and also, you know, to let someone know that it's true. And I'm like, what a cool way in this story, like, you know, I think, and I think you're right. I think God would have, you know, would have honored that that type of heart that Rahab had, and if that was in others to save to save more, and that what a cool application, you know, for us today. That was that was amazing. Yeah, I um, I never thought about the, I, I, and and I don't know that there's a I don't know if I want to build a theology on it, but why <laughs> did God have them walk around the the city seven times? That was an idea that I, I read. Um, I, I can't remember. It was either Philip Yancey's "What's So Amazing About Grace" or uh, there's a book that I read by Andy Stanley years ago where they were just asking the question. You yeah. know, what if God was giving them a chance to reconsider? Because I right, think He would right. have honored more than just just one cord hanging off the, off the the side of the of the the walls there. Yeah, I think that I, I totally agree. I think that was part of, and I, I didn't write it down. I was trying to take notes, but my thumbs weren't fast enough. Um, but I think you're right. I think that those days where God's just going, okay, I mean, you guys, you've seen what you've seen what I'm capable of. You've seen that I'm, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna give my people a victory here. It's like it's, you know, that's why you're so scared because you've seen it happen. And then to just say, yeah. I, I can change my mind. And what was it? How many years ago was it when Alex, was it Alex Bryan that was here from? Was, oh, that was um, probably about four years ago. Four, I think. It was, and we didn't do the podcast. That was the first year we thought about doing the podcast. Couldn't pull it off. And his whole, his whole thing for the weekend was God changes his mind. 
and gave us all kinds of different uh, places in the Bible where you know people petitioned God and He changed His mind. And I, it made me think of that this morning, just being another retreat um, message we've heard. And again, how 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 much did that make us feel good about the God that we're we're trying and we're trying to know and we're trying to be in relationship with that you know he can change his mind so i thought that was a really beautiful remark as well and something like the maybe the easiest battle is planned in history <laughs> march, march around seven times and that's it it's it's done we're, we're through so does anybody have any questions uh for any for us at all i i'm pretty sure someone are you you coming yeah yeah come on yeah we're ready So, hey Randy. Hi. <laughs> so I forget people. The can't topic see. of grace. Um, great topic. But we oftentimes, as church community, come to this as so. And then this is, I'll be honest. I come from a marginalized community. I'll just leave it at that for the conversation. You can talk to your parents about it. Um, but here's the, here's the thing. We talk about come as you are, God's grace is enough. And if you're in a marginalized community and you're living in that margin, you know what that sounds like? God, come as you are and then, then we'll fix you. Right? It's not come as you are, who you are, who God made you to be. How do we manage that kind of conversation? And where you're from, Josh, where you're working with high school students who struggle with the conflict between what we teach as formal positions of the church on some pretty powerful subjects about who people are as individuals, how do we manage that space, make that space our space where they truly can come and find love, community, and true acceptance, not just kind of, well, you get here and we'll make you all okay. Yeah. That's a good question. Okay, that must have been a really good question, Josh. That was a great question. I think so. <laughs> and I think that, I mean, I think that's the uncomfortable, I think that is the, the uncomfortable, like, part of the whole message of grace, that it, you know, I, all throughout Scripture, Jesus accepted people as who they were, and and he loved them, and he, you know, he spent time with them, and and that was kind of it. I mean, and I think that oftentimes we feel like, well, it has to be more. There has to be more to it, and and it sounds like you have more to well, ask. No, just just to dialogue. I mean, so so if we if we look at Christ, really, we don't ever see this 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 in many cases this marked change of who this person is other than that they are in relationship with mm. with god now right we don't i mean there certainly there were some behavioral changes but some of these things that we know now are pretty much innate human characteristics we don't you know jesus was okay with them being who they were and I think, I think the change you do see, at least in terms of the messages this weekend, the change you see in the criminal on the cross and the changes that mm. you see with, with Rahab is that there was a surrender. 
right? There was a, there was a, uh, I'm here in the presence of God and I'm surrendering to him and who he is and I'm recognizing who he is. And I feel like that's, that's really the change he's looking for. Uh, I'll agree. I'll agree with that. But that the way within, within Christendom that communicates to many people that are in, a, in the societal margin from which I am a part of comes across a lot differently, to be really honest. Doesn't come across as that's where it ends. That's the beginning of what we're going to do for you. Right. Mm-hmm. I think though, I think Jesus though, I, I, I really liked what, what you said, Josh, and, and clearly there's no, there's no simple answer that just makes everything magically okay. I mean, if there was, I think, right, we would all be on board to say, please, let's do this. And I, I think, though, what I, what I loved about what you said there is the, the giving of self over to the surrender. And I think that's, that's something that I, and I think we all struggle with, the surrender part. And then I think the part that comes next is the continued surrender. At least that's what I feel for myself personally is I don't disbelieve. I don't, um, I, I don't have doubts in about a lot of things. But it's the constant surrender of the things that I want that, you know, God has told me over and over again, like, you know, that's not really what I have. That's not the best part. And I think we can all plug in whatever those are for us personally. But um, it's the daily it's the daily giving over that I find to be the most challenging. And I think that's the part that God really, like you said, I think that's the part that God really wants from us. But that also doesn't exclude us from trying to help others that are more, like you said, are in different margins of society, that we also have to go, well, that's my struggle, but then how can I come alongside and take what I and, and do take what I can do and, and I don't know what that and I don't know what that is, but I wish I, I wish I knew better what it could be. So, so we're we're talking about well come alongside and the the reality is is the margin I live in is it's not a struggle for me. It's a struggle because the way the church looks at me. Right? So are, are we... Like, I'll just say it, okay? Sure. I'm a transgender person. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, so I live in a community that at the worldwide level does not accept me formally. Whole life does, okay? That's great as the reality that I have known since I was a small child. And so giving over to God every day means me being who you see right here, right now. Not what the church wants to define me as. You know, I think there's a difference between grace and graciousness because grace assumes you have a problem. And I'm going to I'm going to extend grace to you because you are problematic in some way. You Thank know, you. you are a sinner. You, not, not you specifically, Randy. <laughs> no, you. But, yeah. you, Randy. <laughs> Randy. <laughs> but graciousness. Yeah, no, Randy, Randy, Randy on the stage, not Randy in the front row. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. Wow. This. Clarify. 
<laughs> for those that can't see, <laughs> we're talking to Randy McGray. That's yeah. true. I'll, I'll own that. But graciousness, I think, extends. It's it's um, it's it's more of a a way of being in which we bring people into our presence and accept people, and and it's not this this transactional. Okay, you have an issue. I have grace for you. But now you need to fix yourself or do whatever you need to do. Graciousness is is the extension of that idea in such a way that we're able to embrace each other as a community. Yeah, I, like I think I like that. I think that sometimes you know sometimes we do have. And by the way, uh, Avenus do not get off the hook on this at all uh, because we have this built-in idea that you come to an evangelistic series. No matter, we say come as you are, but in 24 weeks or even less, you will have, because of my level of influence as an evangelist, you will have all you need to be a fully committed, devoted follower of Jesus. And all of the changes, so to speak, that we are talking about will have already taken place at the end of 24 or 24 meetings. And, and I think that – I think what we're talking about is we're talking about a community that doesn't like the idea of somebody not being like them, you know, and they don't like this. It's uncomfortable for a community to say, well, yeah, Jesus – yeah, you were on the cross with Jesus, but somehow you didn't die, and now we have to live with you. And Jesus said you will be in the kingdom – and but you need to stop being a hitman. And in in our community, that hitman doesn't work real well. That demographic doesn't fit with our community. If that guy's a, a murderer, and we would say you need to change because that doesn't fit. But but our community is so much different than God's kingdom. So I think maybe it's it's on us and on everyone else is that we as a community need to start realizing that. We need to be more, and I, I like what Melanie said about graciousness. God extends grace to all of us. We can be gracious to those people around us to the point where let's start acting like we are part of God's kingdom instead of protecting what we believe our identity or our comfortability needs to be. So in regards to, you, know, you mentioned you're a transgender person, I don't know what that's like, but I should be getting next to you and finding ways. And rather than m me trying to change something, why don't I look at how I can become more, in a sense, like Christ in my community? And I think all of us could benefit from that. And I'm not saying that the change – I don't even know what the change looks like because that's, that's God's department. So I need to start realizing what changes for me within this community. So I have a I have a question for the panel too on this one and on kind of a bigger picture maybe. What role does the church have then when it comes to morality? I, I think morality is defined as anything that would destroy a relationship. And so I'm going to be wholeheartedly for morality. I don't want relationships destroyed. 
But we've never been good at that as a church. And I mean, long as I've been alive, and there's been your depending on what part of the margins you live in, if you were raised Adventist and you were raised with this is what we do, this is what we don't do, we were raised with the rules. And when you boycott all of it and you just go live your life however you please, while not necessarily hurting anyone, someone would have looked at my life 15 or 20, well, 25 years ago and said, you're not living a moral life. And I would have disagreed wholeheartedly just because I didn't keep the rules of Christianity or the of the church. I was a good person. Um, I did things that, you know, Christians aren't supposed to do, but I didn't, I didn't see those as... Um, nobody told me I was a bad person and people that I, my, my circle of influence, but coming back to church, it was a lot like having leprosy where no one wanted to come close to you until after you were there for a couple months to make sure it was going to stick this time. Cause it didn't the first. And then after that, when they find out that you're still the same person you always were, the changes are on the inside, but a lot of it, you don't see much of a change on the outside. You still get put in the same, <laughs> you're still kind of in that same marginalized place. If I go back to where I grew up, I'm still that same person. Nobody, nobody thinks anything different of. So to me, the attitude is on our side to have to go, you know, it's not my depart. To me personally, it's not my department to, to judge what, like Jeff, what you said, what, what's God's department. And my job is to see you as you right, sitting in front of me and to be your friend. And if there's anything that I can do to support you, whether it's in whatever area of your life, just like I would with anybody else, that's my job. And that's, and I, and that's a great job. I mean, that's what we're here for is to be family and to, um, help each other in whatever ways. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're asking me. I've learned this from my wife. You're not asking me for help. You're just asking me to be and come alongside of you, and not to solve problems, unless you are. And then you know we ask for those things. But I think the grace of just seeing each other as equals, or as all part of the same the same family, goes a long way to how you treat people, even if it's in a very subconscious level. I found that to be so, so true in my, in, in, in my journey of being in or out of the church, depending on how you look at it and at what stage. I think, to your question, Ken, I think it is very difficult for, for the church to have a role in the morality of individual members' lives if it's not dealing with the corporate sin that the that the larger church the larger church it's it, sometimes we want to focus in on what is this person doing what is this person doing what is that person doing and we can fix this and this and this and this but when but when the larger body is not paying attention to some of the problems in the world that we've been asked to pay attention to when the larger body is creating systems of inequity, when the larger system is protecting and harboring, you know, people who are doing things to our children, you know, when, when the larger church hasn't dealt with its issues, then it really doesn't have the authority to speak into the lives of individual members. That's my opinion. But I think what happens on the grassroots level, though, 
is that we are in a community and we love each other and we work with each other and we have a care for each other that includes the whole person. So I don't know. I mean, when you say the church, maybe I should ask you more specifically what you mean. When I think of the church, I think of maybe just the larger body, the institution. Usually when I say the church, and, and I, I definitely think that's the way that that term is generally used, probably for me, though, uh, the way I use it is more in terms of the body of Christ, all of us together. What what role do I have in speaking into things that I'm concerned about, you know, I've told this story a million times, so forgive me for telling it one more time, but, you know, I was in a car with somebody, um, and we were driving, and I saw a red light about a quarter of a mile away, and the person kept going, and I grew up with a backseat driving parent, and I did not want to be telling this person how to drive. They were, fairly, were fairly new, and I so I just kept my mouth shut, and I was sure that they were going to see it. I was sure they were going to see that red light. And um, I never said anything until we got, till I knew it was, until it was actually too late. And I said, hey, there's a red, and the next thing I know is in a pretty, we were in a pretty serious car accident because I didn't say anything. And they genuinely, we were having a conversation. They weren't trying to miss the red light. They just, they were talking to me, they were distracted. I tell that story because for me, that was one of the things where I, I just, one of the questions I have in my own life that I'm, that I'm, I have no good answers for, is when is the right time to call a red light? When is it when is it the, the the loving thing to do to say, hey, I'm concerned. I see something that I'm worried about. And if I've come to an answer for myself in that particular story, all I wish I would have said to that person is, hey, do you see the red light? And if they said, I don't care and carried on through it, well, my life would have been impacted as it was, but at least I would have said something I didn't need to grab the wheel from them. I didn't need to, you know, curse at them or whatever, or, or say you're not my friend if you don't. But, and so I feel like one of the things that we grapple with as a church is what it means, and the body of Christ is what it means to speak into a person's life without being controlling of a person. Um, I don't believe God is controlling. Um, at least that's not one of the characteristics of love. And so what does it mean to speak into somebody's life? And, and let's go ahead and say, um, you know, Randy, Randy was up front. Let's go ahead and say for, which is not what I'm necessarily saying, but let's go ahead and say I am concerned about Randy being transgender. And for me, in my reading of the Bible, I'm concerned about it. What is my responsibility in this? Is it to um, do what the church has traditionally done, which is shun? and shame and whatever else? Or is it to say, hey, I have a concern, Randy, and this is why, and then let Randy make up Randy's mind about what's going on, and my job is to continue to be in relationship and to care and to accept the fact that I might, it might not be just Randy that needs to change. It may be me that that God might be wanting to tell me something too. That maybe I don't always have everything figured out the way I think I do. So I think that's to me what we as a, a church have to figure out what it means to be able to speak into another person's life without controlling another person. To being honest when we see a red light, and and accepting that maybe. Maybe 
maybe it isn't a red light after all. And maybe they understand the road better than I do. Maybe that maybe I'm in a different country or red means something different. I don't know. But the point is, I think that's the part that we really struggle with as a church. Um, I think that traditionally churches have felt that it's their job to impose and to control and to force and to, to, to make people conform to one vision of what Christianity is by shaming, demeaning, excluding, as opposed to having conversations and remaining in a relationship. And I don't know if that's a, anyway, that's just some. I think that's tough though, because if I'm, if I'm worried about, um, you know, what I perceive to be the speck in somebody else's eye and I've got the plank in mine, it immediately makes me go and, and I'm, I'm from, I'm, I'm here what you say. This was, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really here. If you believed a bunch of other people way back when I'm not really here, I'm actually in hell somewhere, wherever that is, because I was never going to make it. I was never going to be good enough and I'm still not good enough. So they were right about that part. But when someone approaches with your life in their crosshairs for whatever problem it has, it is so difficult to take that in. Number one, with a smile and with grace on that part too, because in you know you like why 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 are you approaching? So I think part of it too is having the grace, or into having a relationship. It's hard to walk up to someone you don't know and then and then and then and call, call my, red well, light. Well, that's one right? of my biggest you problems. Never is, walk up to someone you don't know and call yeah, a red, red light. light. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> well, you know, and that's if you're not in the car with them. <laughs> no, there you go. Okay, you know, then maybe maybe that. You know, jumping it's a different into motivation. maybe jumping into the middle of the road, <laughs> but and, and and so that's my thing is like I think that um, you know and I and I want to be really clear um, at whole life we want everybody, period. Uh, we want to be in relationship and and we want to be sensitive to the fact that. Sometimes the words that we throw around to Randy's point can sound a lot different in the ears of somebody who's marginalized than in our own ears. And we know what we think we mean by it, but we also haven't experienced what it feels like to be in a a smaller, marginalized group that's hearing those words. And so, you know, at Whole Life, you know, we're not going to be perfect at, at anything because we're human beings. But, you know, it's one of the things we strive to, to, to live into community, to be able to have conversations. And, and Randy, I, th- I want to, you know, Randy is one of the, Randy, who's been asking the questions, been having, um, uh, Randy, you've, you've been so gracious in some of the conversations that you've had with me. You've been open. You've been willing to have to, to, to let me ask questions that that probably um, felt uncomfortable, I don't know, and, and then to and then to to share with me, and I really have appreciated that you've you've added to my life and you've helped me understand the world in a different picture and in a bigger picture than than the the picture I had before. And I just want to thank you for that and the courage that it takes to do that. And I think that um, I can't imagine the courage that it takes for some of our marginalized communities to walk into a church in the first place um, and to wonder what the reception is going to be and what kind of painful things could be said 
and um, and, and worse. And so, um, you know, I, I'm really grateful for each person who makes whole life their home, who puts faith in us to to keep the faith, to be who we are, and um, and so I want to say that. And, and for those who want to judge whether or not whole life is doing what it should be, that I just know that we are. I know yeah. without a doubt that that God has called us to be loving, to be filled with grace, to walk with each other, um, to love each other. And um, and so I'm really grateful that, Randy, you came up, that you were asking a question. I just, um, at the same time, I, I want to ask the questions that I think we have to be asking, which is, because I think that sometimes there's a temptation to look at whole life and say, well, they don't, they don't believe that God needs to change anybody. They just, it's, you know, just, and, and that's quite the opposite of what we believe. We believe that we all need to be changed, not just a, a small fraction of the community, that we all have heart change that needs to take place in us. And, and, and to Melanie's point, that it's, it's a bigger picture that we ought to be looking at instead of a smaller picture. And I think that's where, it, you know, just humanly, it's much easier to pick on somebody who looks different than me, acts different than me, than to, to look at what's going on in my own life that I need to be resolving and fixing. So, anyway. Yeah, I, I don't think that that if, if you could take a pulse of the church, I don't think that there is this idea here that, Everybody needs to change, which I'm really grateful for. I'm I'm assuming that we all believe Christ changes us, but a lot of times what we do is we just have to get better. I think as a church, as a community, in believing that the change isn't always going to be the change that we think yeah. should happen. And that's that's what you know, Randy. When you were saying earlier, say that the church. I don't think the church needs to change anybody. I think the Holy Spirit needs to change yeah. people, but I don't know that it's my job to figure out what needs to be changed. Yeah. I think my job is to come alongside you, pray with you, cry with you, walk with you, and then let God do whatever it is that God's doing in your life. Um, in you know, yeah. and I mean, is that does and that, that happens that, and that happens with I mean, it, and it's not just with what we're talking about here as a demographic or a marginalized group. Yeah. It, it's even with, it's with you know, things like, and even even illnesses and people who come, yeah. why isn't God changing my cancer yeah. situation? So it's, I, I think we have to get to that point where we believe God's grace is sufficient. Not only sufficient, it is all we can have actually, but the change piece is on his terms. And it looks like, I think it looks like how his king, we end, I'm having a focus like what his kingdom is. I was, I was really grateful for Josh and how you said good people aren't the ones going to heaven, which I thought, well, that's a brilliant comment because stop being, trying to be good and just start looking to follow Jesus, period. I, I want to just add one, one thing as someone, as a dad of someone with special needs who um, is another marginalized community that is often overlooked. And I will say that people in the marginalized community have so much love for the people outside of their community, the same people that dump on them regularly. They have so much love. And, and I just wanted to say thank you. Randy has been such a good friend to my family mm -hmm. and a friend of Sparkles and uh, a champion um, because you know what it's like and um, that's meant a ton to my family. And so you just, you don't realize 
And I never did until she was born. So you don't know what you don't know until you walk in those shoes. And it's hard. And so we do see your, we do see that struggle. And uh, we love you for the person that you are and that you're you know bringing these to our attention, even though it puts a lot on you as well. Thank yeah. you. We have more questions. Kim, did you, were you, did you have a question? Yeah, I, I don't, don't want to interrupt the really important conversation you're having with Randy. We think your question is important, too, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's, not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> he hasn't asked it yet. That's a good point. That's a good point. Just a few brief thoughts. Um, I'm kind of nearsighted, and so I'm going to be going to the eye doctor again next week. And so this is an analogy that maybe comes to my mind is that when I called to make the appointment, they accepted me just as I am. There was no question. If I said, what should I wear? They said, it doesn't make any difference. We just want you to walk in the door just like you are. But if they didn't do something for my eyes, I'd be a little disappointed. So I think there's a difference between requiring change and giving the opportunity to change and providing resources for that to happen as the Holy Spirit prompts that in our lives, just one thing. Um, another thing, perhaps, is that, um, so in, along that vein, we, I'm so grateful that God accepts us just as we are, but I'm also grateful he doesn't leave me as I am. So I, I would be disappointed in God, because I come to him because I'm needy, right? And so I'm, there's two sides to that coin, it seems to me, that to leave somebody just as I am, as they are, and say there isn't the opportunity, the other half of the story is that God can make you happier, God can make you more fulfilled. We're not telling you what change needs to happen, but it's available, it's an opportunity. Um, I also just quickly say that I think the biggest quote, sins that Jesus condemned were pride and hypocrisy, right? That's what really got to him. He really, it bothered him a lot. Um, I think what he was interested in was internal change, the things we can't see. And, and from what I understand of the scriptures, internal change happens from the Holy Spirit. We can't grow ourselves, right? So the Holy Spirit does that, but as we're in relationship with Christ, and I, Maybe this final thought. So change comes through the Holy Spirit as we are in relationship to Christ. But relationships take a lot of work. You can't, you know, to take work, works is not a, is not a bad word. It just has to be defined properly and put in the right context. Works can be a very hopeful thing. Um, works can be something that's very uh, exciting and something that can give people a whole new way of uh, level of happiness and satisfaction. So um, I think this whole idea of change happens to be given to us through the Holy Spirit, but our job is to maintain a relationship with Christ, as I understand it. And that's where I think the main, the primary work is, is to maintain that relationship. As we know with any relationship, um, there are ups and downs, there are just progress and reverses, and I just think relationships take a lot of work, but it doesn't earn you a thing, it doesn't earn you salvation, it just enables you to become a more happy, fulfilled, uh, flourishing individual, that's all. 
That's good. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, thank Does he teach you. a class? I feel like I feel like he should be teaching a Sabbath school class. Yeah. That was, it does feel has, that way, he doesn't has it? A book or two. So, Dale. Yeah, Dale. Go ahead. So, um, I can also attest to Whole Life Church being a wonderful place for marginalized community members. I'm from the same community as Randy, but to be fair, I'm not trans. I'm gay. But um, I do have a question, and it is, um, it might be a little challenging. Um, speaking of that marginalized community, I have a lot of friends still in that community that absolutely do not believe in Christ at all. As a matter of fact, they um, mock Christ because they feel that Christianity has mocked and dumped on them. So if I'm trying to um, witness to them, um, I want to encourage them to search the Bible for themselves. But a lot of critics about, of the Bible say that the Bible is contradictory. And we believe that all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit inspired all the writers. But then I found some contradictions myself. And so it's hard for me to be able to encourage others to look at the Bible and say it's all harmonious when it looks like there are some scriptures that are contradictory. And I'm going to give two examples. The first example comes from 1 Samuel 28, verse 6 through 7. And that is verses 1 Chronicles 10, verse 13 through 14. And this um, talks about Saul when Saul went to the witch of Endor, and it says in 1 Samuel 28, verse 6 and 7, that so Saul inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him, either in dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, find for me a woman who is a medium so that I may go to her and inquire of her. Then you turn to 1 Chronicles 10, verse 13 through 14, and it says that Saul was killed because he went to the medium and because he did not inquire of the Lord. So which one is it? Did he or did he not? That's a clear contradiction. Um, the second example is 2 Samuel 24, verse 1, where it talks about David um, taking a census of the people. And it says that the Lord incited David to take that census. Then when you turn to 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1, it says, then Satan stood up and incited David to take that census. And there's a big difference between Satan and the Lord. So I would like Amen. to, and I'm so glad because I really thought that Josh was going to be up here alone having to deal with this. So I'm glad you have backup. <laughs> What? You I'm thought not, I was going to be up here I'm, by I'm, myself, and you thought of this question. I had faith in you, Josh, but I'm Come glad on, you had backup. So if you guys you've can help me You've been saving this up all year, haven't you, Dale? This is like, you've been waiting for uh, for the for this. The live mic yes. event. That's so, all right. That's all right. If you guys can help me make sense I think sense we ought to do a new podcast with Dale, just hard questions with hard Dale. Questions. I like yes. that. I like it. Those are good you questions. You know what? He sort of prepped me. Last night, he was like, hi, my name is Dale, and I've got a question for you tomorrow. 
Like, Dale, we, we just became friends, and you're dropping this on us, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Before you answer it, Josh. <laughs> yeah, I've got the answer. We're going to have a little bit of a prayer meeting for I, you. I would ask you, though, if wherever this answer, I don't even know if there is an answer uh, that may be suitable, or wherever it goes, how is it going to affect you? Um, well, first of all, it's really important for me to find out Saul, the whole story of Saul is a big issue for me because I feel like if Saul did inquire of the Lord, as the Bible says, and the Lord ignored him, I, also, I always wonder, well, can that be me? Can I be inquiring of the Lord and the Lord ignore me? What did Saul do? that was so bad that he was ignored by the Lord and other kings did and he didn't ignore them. What, what, whatever Saul did, I don't want to do. So, <laughs> so it's a big thing. So when I read about Saul and then I go and I'm reading the Bible again and I have gotten to Chronicles now and it says he didn't inquire of the Lord. Okay, that doesn't make sense to make it make sense. And then I also remember you know, see about, well, the Lord incited David. Why would the Lord incite David? We believe that the Lord doesn't tempt us. And it also says that the Lord was upset with Israel. But if you go up a few chapters, it doesn't give you any type of backstory as to why the Lord was upset with Israel. So therefore, he incited David. So these things, it affects me because I, on my own journey, I want to know that my relationship with the Lord is not like theirs. Period. Yes. Period. I like that. I like that. I'm, man, I don't... I'm, I mean, you've obviously spent a lot of time thinking about this and processing it, and so I think that is a good thing. Um, not to generalize your question, so forgive me for doing that. I'm about to do that. Um, you know, when... I'm, I'm blank. Who was it that came up and asked, what is the greatest commandment? Was it the rich young. The rich young. Oh, rich young yeah. He said, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And, and Jesus said, well, it's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the guy's nodding along with it as, as Jesus is saying that. And he says, and the second is like it. And in the Greek there, the second is equal to. So, whatever, so love the Lord your God. That's the first thing. The second thing, whatever he's about to say, that's equal to the first thing. And the second we know is love your neighbor as yourself. And, and what I love about what, what happens next is what, or what, I love what Jesus says next. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And so I always tell people, when you're reading through Daniel and it gets confusing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. When you're reading through Chronicles or Samuel and it gets confusing, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. When you're reading in Genesis and you're not sure if it's literal or figurative or whatever, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I, and again, that doesn't answer the specifics and you know whether or not the Bible is inerrant or infallible or you know complete, yeah, contradictory. Um, that's more of a generalized concept. Um, 
now when it comes to and I and I'm just asking questions myself too. When it comes to especially what was the second, um, the second the, the inciting the inciting was of it David of Jesus of the God uh, God incited was David. it God or Satan right yeah um, I mean I would just want to ask the question you know what's the difference between God's active will and His passive will you know so. So I think there are times when God actively wills something, but then there are times when I think God's like, you do what you're going to do, bro. Like, I already know what you're going to do, so you, you go ahead and do that. And we're talking about Saul, who didn't have the greatest track record of following God and didn't have the greatest track record of, of being in God's will. And so I wonder if that, that first where he, you know, and I may be getting him confused, where he inquires of the Lord, right? Is that, I wonder if that's, no, no, no. Satan or God incited him versus Satan. I think. I right. wonder if, you know, I wonder if this is just God saying like, "Hey, you, you do what you do," and you know, I'm just going to let that be my passive will. And I'd be curious to know when Chronicles was written versus Samuel. I think Chronicles was written later, and it'd be interesting to see if the writers had a different perspective on that story later on when they, when they had some time to think about it. And just throwing out, throwing out stuff there, so you smarter people can jump in now. I'll I'll do nothing theology related because that's not my thing. But and I don't know your the the specific people in your community, but you mentioned that this is part of a way that you can, you know, you can show that you know the Bible is is not it's not contradictory. But I would say that the two things that Josh just said, love you love your God, love your neighbor, you do those things exceptionally well. You are a people, you're a person that brings people together. You're a person who clearly loves Jesus. And I would say the best thing that you can ever show that community. When I left and, and I came back to church much like you came back not that long ago, um, nobody wanted to talk to me. <laughs> I lost a lot of friends. And a lot of those friends, even to this day, look at me differently because same thing, uh, Bible's not real, God's not real, it doesn't make sense, and the God of the Old Testament, why would you want to be a part of all this? And there's a million excuses why people biblically will always throw at you why what you're doing is wrong because they want the old person back. <laughs> they want the person that um, was more to their liking. And honestly, through the years, the, the best conversations I've had, the people that have come up to me and said, um, you were an in, you're, you're leaving and just being who you were and just being and still being my friend, even though you're someone I don't trust anymore because of the title that if you go to church, you must be a Christian, which I don't usually call myself a Christian. I just, I'm, I'm a Jesus follower and I, I, I like to keep it as simple as possible. And I think that's what people are going to gravitate towards because of who you are and just like, I mean, when you guys show up every week at church, first thing I want to do is come over and give you a hug, right? That's, that's your personality. That's what God gave you to, to be the, the seed planter for the Holy Spirit to water and to grow is your love of your neighbor. So can I jump in here really quick for you? Um, so you're, to me, there's two different questions that we're dealing with here. The first one is, you know, Dale, you're saying you've got friends that you want to show them that the Bible isn't contradictory. Um, we're, there's nothing we're going to be able to say that's going to help you prove that. 
um, to some, to that. It just won't happen. Um, if you want to prove that the Bible has worth, it's going to be them watching you. That's that's that will be what changes people's minds. It will be um, hopefully whole life being a place that when you bring your friends there, they're like, oh, these people are different than what I what I've been feeling from Christian communities before. Um, so you will not out logic, out argue. There, there is nothing that we would be able to say up here, even if we had really great answers for you on those two questions, that that you would be able to share with them that they would be like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. There's just a lot of passages in the Bible that you, they're not going to make sense. It's going to be that that we have that we live in the tension of being like, yeah, I don't get it, <laughs> but what I do know is that God in my life makes my life better and makes me better at life. So that's that's the first part. So the second part and the part that I that I think really tugs at my heart the most is uh, and it tugs at my heart because it speaks to your heart so much, Dale, that you you don't want to do whatever it was that Saul did that kept God from talking to him when he, when when he went to God and the writer records that God just was silent on him. Um, you know, I have my own feelings and thoughts on that particular story, and I don't know that they're going to change your mind or do anything, and that's separate from the David story. My personal opinion on that particular story was that Saul didn't give a rip what God had to say to him. He just didn't want to die in a battle, and so God didn't talk to him because because Saul didn't want to have a conversation. Saul just wanted God to wave his magic wand and make everything better for him. Saul only had, you know, it's, it's, it's the friend in your life that only shows up when they need something from you. Um, and, and I don't want to be heartless in that because, you know, a lot of us, when that friend shows up, we still help them out and we, we do things. And so why didn't God just choose to help Saul out on this one? I don't know. But I do know that Saul wasn't interested. Saul repeatedly, if you read his story, has no interest in, in, a, in a relationship with God. He just has an interest in what God will do for him. And that's a huge difference between him and David, for example. David screws up all the time, but what pains David is when he feels like God doesn't want to have a relationship with him. And he's like, look, I want to I do whatever it takes to be in relationship with you, God. Saul is like, hey, God, I want to do whatever it takes so that you will bless me. And there's a difference. There's a difference between having a friendship with somebody who loves you and wants to be in friendship with you and having a friendship with somebody who wants to use you for what you can do. So that's one thing. Um, The inciting David part, I'd want to really sit down and look that one over a lot more before I gave you uh, anything. There's there's a lot of um, times where we can take biblical writers and they're writing from their viewpoints in the world that they lived in at that time and the way that they saw things going. Um, there's some other things going on there potentially too, but I'll let Mel- Melanie, the biblical scholar, speak to a little bit more of that. <laughs> and I'm just gonna, fidgeting. Yeah, yeah, I see you fidgeting. <laughs> but Dale, what I, what I want to say to you is I'm glad you're asking those questions because to me that, that part, that's the part that tells me that you know, that's 
those are the questions I think we all ought to be thinking about. What is what is it that God wants from me, and what can I learn from these stories, and why is that happening? And and so I love that you're thinking deeply because those are deep questions. Melanie. So I'm going to come at this from a little bit of a different angle. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we place we we all have our own particular expectations that we place on the Bible. We expect it to perform for us in certain ways. And some of the expectations that we place on the Bible are not realistic. Uh, we can't look at the Bible as a completely accurate record of history because people wrote history differently thousands of years ago. It, that was pre-enlightenment when you know people were more concerned about other things in terms of record keeping. You know, you 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 can't look at the Bible as a, you know, a biology textbook because that's not going to work either. And anyone who says that the Bible doesn't contradict itself has not looked at it closely enough because those are a couple of examples. There are, you're going to find all kinds of examples. And if your expectation is every word of the Bible has to line up, it has to all fit, it has to all work, then it's going to fall short. And you're, you're always going to be feeling like you've got to defend it and make it work somehow. But I think it's important to remember, first of all, that the Bible is not a book. The Bible is an anthology of books. It's a library of books written by many different authors over thousands of years. And each of those authors is writing from their own particular perspective to a particular audience at a particular time for a particular reason. These are not neutral books. And you can look, you can look at what, what's happening during the time of some of, one of the, when these books were written, and you can see, oh, they were speaking to this community because they wanted to accomplish this thing. If, if, I, if, if I decided to write a book about God, God's interaction with, with, with us, let's say I wanted to write a book about whole life and God's interaction with whole life, my perspective is going to be different than if you wrote a book about God's interaction with whole life. If Randy wrote a book about you know, God's interaction with whole life, we're, it, it's all going to look different because we all have different perspectives. And we might even contradict each other. And we might contradict each other, yeah, because we're looking at, at, at perspectives. But if we remember that what the Bible actually is is a story, it's a story about different people's perspectives about how God has interacted with people over throughout history. And we don't look at it like, okay, all of this has to line up, and all of this has to make perfect sense, and it all has to harmonize, and I have to obey every... If you try to obey every word of the Bible, you're going to be so confused because you're, you're going you're gonna to shave your beard. You're not going to shave your beard. You're going to wear a, a, you know, a scarf to pray. You're not going to wear a scarf to pray. You know, you're you're going to wear cotton polyester mix. You're not going to wear... I mean, there are all kinds of different things that will make you crazy if you are trying to make it all work. But I think the value in the Bible, though, is to look at it and see... God shining through the perspectives of different people. And you can look at that and then you can compare it with your experience of God shining through your experiences. And the Bible is a special revelation, but there's also a general revelation where you can look around, you can look at nature, you can look at how different things happen in the world. And we're told in Romans that, that God is revealed in the things that are created. So there are multiple different, multiple different places where we can know and experience God. That probably didn't help whatsoever, but there it is. Can I, can I recommend a book? 
that I think is pretty real. Uh, it's called the blue parakeet. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. blue the blue, blue parakeet. parakeet. And it will help you with a couple of the questions that you were asking us. Mm -hmm. Front row, too? The blue parakeet. Yep. What's your question? I just showed up today because I heard it was a good chance for me to ask my wife a question and she has to answer truthfully. Oh, this is this is better than I thought. So we get to be a part of this. This is, this is awesome. Yeah. We'll, we'll help. If you need okay. help, we'll help. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm staying out of it. <laughs> me too. Me too. Seriously. Josh, feel free to jump in. I mean, you're, you're... No, I think you got I, it. I, I think you're good. I do have a question for Josh and and the rest of the panel and the answer you've kind of been you know touching on and maybe you've answered it completely and that's fine but i appreciate when you were talking about the thieves on the cross with jesus and one of them asked remember me in your kingdom and i thought something you know it made me think of something i don't think i'd thought of quite like that before and i thought you know i've prayed that prayer more than once and I think of the that thief and maybe the other one had been living destructive lives and not to say that I've been living a destructive life when I've maybe repeatedly cried out to God that prayer but I think what if Jesus had said oh, wait a minute I'm going to delay this a little bit. You and I, we're getting free here. I'm going to perform a little miracle. And sorry, other guy, you asked the wrong question. But then I like to imagine, what if, I, I like to think that that thief that he saved, and he, of course, really did save, but that thief would have become the 13th disciple and would have spent the rest of his life getting closer to Jesus, which of course is something that we are commissioned to do. But my question is, or, or I, I also think another what if, what if he would have turned to his destructive living again? And so my question is, what do you tell someone, say it's a close friend, that cries out to God, recognizes who God is, ask for help, ask for saving, and then goes and lives a destructive life and maybe encourages other people to live destructive lives and maybe is in this cycle that most of us probably think, well, that's probably not the best way to live. What, what would you tell them? Stop. It's <laughs> so easy for me to say, right? <clears throat> Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, so just to kind of recap what you're saying is, wh what do you do when someone is is committing to God, but then going and uncommitting, so to speak, or just going and getting into another life of, of destruction or bad decisions or choices? Is that kind of what you're, you're talking about? Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what else there is to do in those situations other than um, be be Jesus to them, you know, to continue to strive with them and support them and encourage them and pray for them um, and lift them up. Um, 
I think that um, I think that that's what I would want for someone to do for me in that situation. And you know, I think we you know we alluded to this earlier the whole idea of of you know getting the speck out of your own eye, <laughs> you know. Um, or getting the plank out of your own eye before you get the speck out of, of someone else's eye. I think we have to be in a position to evaluate ourselves before we evaluate others. And um, so, I mean, I don't know. I'm still trying to get to the part where I'm good enough to not to quit evaluating me. I've, I haven't figured that one out yet. So I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gotten there. I, no, I know. So. I'm sorry. It's, it's difficult. It's difficult. I don't know because the same thing. I mean, it seems like that's a lot of what we do. I mean, where do you, I mean where to to whom is destructive behavior? Like, when does that happen? When is it just well, that's just a little sin, or that's a, you know, we start playing the the rate of sin. What what qualifies as you know that level? And it just that's I mean, because that's me every day. I mean, I'm still. I'm still do the same things that I don't want to do. Like Paul says, everything I'm I'm not supposed to do is what I do. And I think we all go through that. That's tough. Before you ask a follow-up question, I think, well, so I have several mentors in my life who I've been talking with and meeting with since I was in high school. And it's interesting. We talk about the same things that I struggle with today, even though we're not necessarily talking about destructive lifestyle patterns, but you know, maybe personal things or insecurities that I have when it comes to ministry or, you know, or whatever. We talk about the same things that I talked about 10 years ago. And what I appreciate about those people is they still love me, they still walk through it with me, mm-hmm. and they still encourage me and pray for me. And so maybe, maybe, you know, Don't give up. being that with someone else is the answer. Yeah, and I think your answer is good for someone who maybe is in a cycle of destructiveness but I was just thinking too you know I I didn't want to downplay the fact that I think all of us get into a cycle um, and it's maybe not considered destructive but anything that comes in between me and my relationship with God is destructive and so no, that's that's good, and and like I said, you've already talked about it, and I think you were talking about it with Dale. That you know, just love, love on them. I don't, I don't know if I don't know who wrote that. I don't know who found that story or got that story, you know, and I don't know who is there recording all of these conversations at the cross, because we got you know we got John apparently was there um, making sure that. He was the beloved there, at, yeah. but taking care of Jesus yeah, mother. taking care of Jesus' mother. But this is an interesting story because it's a real juxtaposition between these two thieves, both on each side of Jesus. It's a real good metaphor, but I do think we have to realize Jesus in this consideration. We keep thinking we go to the the thief, but Jesus is the central piece to this. And I think what we we have to realize is that. Jesus found in that thief, what Josh mentioned, is this, this recognition. And I think that's, we have to, we have to, we can't downplay what Jesus does for us. So in answer, and I guess in answer to what the question would be, we can't underestimate Jesus being able to hang on to us. Because we keep thinking, you know, what if I, you know, this deathbed confession thing, that, you know, that only goes as far as that and if I change my mind or whatever but if Jesus sees something in us he doesn't let go 
So I think it's a constant, yeah, we may fall, we may fail, but let's not underestimate Jesus' power of staying with us. He, Josh mentions Good. mentors. These guys, these guys are hanging with Josh, too, mm-hmm. not just Josh hanging with them. Yeah, good Does that point. Make sense? Good point. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Sonny. You had a question, right? And then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up here. Yeah. Thank you for stealing my question, and Randy, <laughs> thank you for stealing my question at the very at the very beginning, because <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, you know, Josh, dude, is it really that simple? Yeah. But as the conversation has been going on, a lot of things have been swirling on my mind, and it's about change, because I'm sure all of us have heard that quote from Helen that says, you know, until the character, and I'm paraphrasing, until the character is Jesus is reflected on you and then the end will come. Not sure exactly who actually is going to get there. I know I'm not, I'm, I'm not anywhere near close. If we're waiting for that, that's tough. Uh, you know, I'm in the same vein of the guy who's praying the same prayer every night. You know, Lord, you know everything. You know, tomorrow I'm going to be here again saying the same thing. So... Is it, is there room for the possibility that you can be safe in spite of, or does there has to be a, you know, a clean slate change that needs to happen? You know, I hear what you said, good people are not going to go to heaven, right? But then I hear about change, but then you find yourself, you know, God, please take this away from me. Please take this hang up away from me. And it doesn't happen. It just simply doesn't happen. It might happen for a little while, but then it comes back and it comes back roaring, sometimes even worse than before. And it just simply doesn't happen. Um, you know, I've heard that change happens in God's time, right? You know, it's he's the one in charge. So what is my role? I mean, should I just trust that God is going to take care of it? I mean, or like, you know, hey, you know, nothing's changing, so you might as well forget about it, you know? Um, anyway, there's a lot that I could say, but I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I mean, I I struggle with with change, I know my wife struggles with change because she wants me to pick up after myself a little bit better and, um, you know, that is a struggle of mine, right? Confessions um, with Confessions, Josh. yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Starting next week. There are, you know, I kind of alluded to, you know, different insecurities I think we all struggle with that I would think that, you know, I'm 37, 38 years old. I'd have those figured out by now. Like, I'm an adult. Um so I, I don't really know how change happens. Um, you know, one thing that 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 I I see a lot is um, I see high school kids change. They come in and they're freshmen and they're the most annoying people in the world in the world, right? Oh yeah. And slowly they develop into sophomores and they're a little less annoying and then they're seniors and, and it's like, man, I think we could actually be friends. And I, and I, and I do think that change um, takes time, number one. Um, you know, I, I heard an illustration years ago and, that, and I really resonate with, if I, if I, if I spend time with my, my daughters or if I have supper with my family tonight, will I be closer to my family tonight? Probably not. If I do it tomorrow night, or maybe next Tuesday and Wednesday night, will I be closer to my family? 
those individual moments probably won't make me closer. But if I'm if I'm spending intentional time with my family over the years, then I will have developed a very deep relationship with them. I think it's the same with God. I mean, I think it's the th- the same with uh, you know. I, Working out, exercise. If I if I run today, will I be stronger? No, I'll actually feel worse. But I think over time. So it's, um, you know, I, I heard it, I heard it years ago. But time over time makes a big difference. And I think neglect over time also makes a difference. If I neglect my kids tomorrow and the next day and the next day, after a while, there will be a a, a void in the relationship. And I guess I say all that to say, I think change. I don't, I don't understand it, but I think it can happen through the power of God, but I think it takes a long time because he's working with pretty broken human beings. I like what you said, Sonny, though, because I think you're on to the right path because the same thing, I feel the same way a lot of the time, but the idea that, because I've said the same thing, God, we're going we're gonna to do this again this afternoon. We're going to do it again tonight. We're going to do it again tomorrow. And I'm going to pray for the same things. I'm going to, uh, you know, something else might come in. But overall, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing what I see. Show me what you see. Change what you need to change. And if I still don't feel it, sometimes it's the little pieces and parts that you look back on over that course of time where you just go, I'm still here. I haven't given up and you know, God's got something to do through me yet. And, um, I had something like that happen and I, I've already shared it in the podcast, so I won't again, but I connected this year. Sometimes you go, ah, why are we doing the podcast? Yeah. People listen and it's fun and, and people get things from it. We, we answer questions. We have dialogue. It's a conversation starter, but then to have someone say that they found that they found Jesus through your podcast after being in prison for 28 years, and they come and hug you for 10 minutes and won't let go because they're your brother in Christ. I mean, it, it just makes your, it makes the hair stand up on your, on your arm and you go, uh, something as simple as a podcast that has literally changed someone's life for the better. So it was a good reminder for me because I've, I've kind of felt like before that happened, it had been a long time since you kind of just wonder, am I making a difference? Does what I do really matter? Or am I making progress with God? And that was a definite answer from God that just said, you know, something that you do all the time that you don't find particularly, you know, whatever or impactful. And then you get something, you get some feedback or you find it that little piece and it's, it, it does show growth and it does show that you're open to what God's leading you to do. A follow-up question, if I may. In my heart, I know what you're saying is true. It has taken some time to like conceptually, let's put it that way. Conceptually, I know that I'm, I'm saved by grace through faith. I get it. Practicality, though, maybe because of the way I was raised, um, <laughs> it's still, you know, you can know a concept. Putting it into practice is a different story, right? And I think part of it is just the way that I was raised because I still think that the church really makes this very complicated. Let me give you an illustration. A family member apparently has been struggling with the thought of salvation a lot and approached me and said, you know, Adventists aren't that much different than Catholics because there's the Adventists out there who think that they could be on their deathbed and they can say, please, for Lord, forgive me, and they're going to be saved, just like Catholics can go into church and go into confession. And I didn't say anything because you kind of have to choose your battles, but, <laughs> you know, my mind 
immediately went to the thief on the cross. What do we do with him? Don't he, don't, wasn't he aware that what he was doing was wrong? I mean, after all, why else would he be crucified? Jesus didn't say, oh, you know, like you, you know, like you illustrated, you know, uh, change all these things and then we can talk about it. He just says, done. But it, our, I'm going to say our denomination uh, has really, except for his whole life. No, I mean. (laughs) (laughs) No, we'll take that. It's okay, we'll get that. I really think that our denomination stills make it incredibly difficult to have to believe that you're saved by grace yeah. and that God really accepts everyone. Randy, your, your story resonates with me. With me. Yeah. My brother's gay, and my brother grew up in the church. In fact, my brother was at seminary at Southern. My brother hasn't stepped foot inside a Seventh-day Adventist church in over 20, 20 some odd years. And I doubt that he will. Um, what is it going to take for us as the denomination to move forward, to be more inclusive, and to really embrace the fact that we are saved by grace and nothing else? You know, when are we going to stop making this so difficult for people? We so can I, can, I, can I speak to that really quick? Or not really quick. I'm going to take a moment. Um, so saying I don't know, I don't know when that's going to happen. I, I guess the question is when, when are each one of us going to take our own personal responsibility to do it and quit waiting for the corporate body to do what corporate bodies will never do. Um, and so for me, I've, I personally, I've just kind of quit worrying about when the conference, the union, the division, the general conference is going to do what I think needs to be done. I've started doing what I think needs to be done for me. And you you quoted something a little bit earlier. It's a it's a piece of um, Aunt Ellen's writing that gets used a lot in some circles that really bothers me a lot. It's the it's the quote that until the until the character of Christ is perfectly reproduced, Christ won't come back is the way that people will usually paraphrase it, even though that's not how it's written. And what I'd like to do is maybe as we close off, I happen to actually like this passage that, that Ellen wrote a lot. And I'd like to read to you a larger portion of what she wrote, because I think it will actually speak to what you are talking about. And Ellen wrote, as you receive the spirit of Christ, Hear, hear that very carefully. As you receive the spirit of Christ, the spirit of unselfish love and labor for others, you will grow and bring forth fruit. She doesn't say as you work harder. She doesn't say as you try more. She says as you receive the spirit of Christ, these things will happen. The graces of the spirit, the graces of the spirit will ripen your character. Again, not you. The graces of the Spirit will ripen your character. Your faith will increase. Why is it increasing? It's not because you're working hard. It's because the Spirit's doing that. More and more, you will reflect the likeness of Christ in all that is pure, noble, and lovely. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. This fruit can never perish, but will produce after it its kind a harvest unto eternal life. When the fruit is brought forth. Remember how fruit works. Fruit works on its own, right? 
fruit doesn't happen because the fruit tree is trying to make it happen. It happens because it's what fruit trees do. And, and when the fruit starts happening in our life, it's because it's the Holy Spirit doing that, not because we're trying harder. And that's exactly what she's writing here. Um, when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth it to the sickle because the harvest is come. Christ is waiting with a longing desire for the manifestation of himself and his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. And that's where we sometimes stop, but let's, let's finish that thought. It is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, where all who profess his name bearing the fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the great harvest would be ripened and Christ would come to gather the precious grain. So Ellen is not saying that because when we become perfect, then God can do something. What she's saying is when we actually start acting like Jesus, then people will want to know Jesus. And how much quicker would people be like, yeah, I'm in, if we all were acting like Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit to ripen our character. So it's not about us doing it, it's about us letting Jesus change us and reflect him into the world. And if, if Christ's character were shining out of me, what would that do to this world? How amazing would it be? So, Sonny, you're on the right track. The track is to go to bed every night and say, Lord, I'm imperfect, and I give you permission to do whatever it is you want to do in my life to help me be a loving person that brings Christ into my world. And I know I won't be perfect, but I want to be I want to be what you want me to be. Here I am. And uh, that's the best any one of us can do. And the, the rest of the, the, the whole perfectionism thing ceases to matter when I just put my eyes on Jesus, say I'm moving towards that, and I'm not worried about the other stuff on the other sides. That, that for me is, is what I'd like to, to say to what I think is just such a heartfelt, beautiful question that you've been asking us. Thank you, Sonny. That's that's uh, and Ken. That was for looking that up and giving some context. That's uh, that's often I think where we go, we go awry. We hear something, it gets applied to a way that isn't exactly the way it was meant, and then not at all the way it was meant. Right? Yeah, <laughs> or not at all, and uh, and that's where we end up getting in trouble. So I want to thank everyone that came out today to be here to participate, ask questions, and listen. Um, for those that are not here, you're going to find that there are already two bonus episodes in your feed. One will be from Josh's Friday night talk and from Saturday um, at our worship time. So you'll have two bonuses this week. So we're going to have three episodes this week, and it's full of all kinds of goodness. And so make sure to make uh, and check each one of those out. And that's going to do it. We're we're long, but um, I think we covered when you when you say come just as you are. Yeah, you know, there's got to be a lot of questions that are going to come along with that because we all uh, know that we all know internally who just what come just what you are means for us. And uh, you have to assume that everyone else has the rest. So thank you guys for joining us. Have a great rest of your retreat.